Welcome to the 73rd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. When Heather Smith was growing up on her family's southwest Wisconsin dairy farm, she enjoyed working on the land. But when she left in 1996 to attend college, she never dreamed her career path would lead her back to farming. However, after graduating from college and working on a ranch out west, Smith realized she belonged on the land producing food. Smith eventually returned to southwest Wisconsin, and in 2003, she took the Land Stewardship Project's Farm Beginnings course, where she learned business planning, goal setting, and innovative marketing techniques. The course also allowed her to network with established farmers who were utilizing innovative, sustainable production techniques to profitably produce livestock, vegetables, and other products. Today, the 31-year-old Smith is making a living on a picturesque 16-acre farm not far from where she grew up. The core of her operation is a 60-family, community-supported agriculture vegetable operation. Normally, a CSA operation of that size would not be able to provide a full-time living. And indeed, Smith's CSA enterprise, which consists of people buying subscriptions in the farm before the growing season, could easily be larger. The demand outstrips her supply of memberships. But Smith has two sons under age five, and she is farming the land by herself. She realizes that adding more shares to the CSA will increase her workload to a level that may not be sustainable in the long run. So the young farmer has made a conscious decision to increase cash flow by adding value to what she already produces. She now offers winter CSA shares that consist of storage crops like potatoes, as well as leafy greens such as spinach, which she raises in a winterized hoop house. Smith also makes soaps and jams that she sells. But perhaps the farmer's most successful value-added enterprise is a wood-fired pizza business. Once a week from May to October, she bakes pizzas for some 350 people who come out to the farm. To make the pizzas, Smith not only utilizes vegetables from her gardens, but pork from a neighboring Farm Beginnings graduate, cheese from other local farmers, and flour from an organic grain mill that sits next to Smith Gardens. These pizza nights not only add value to Smith's limited acres, but also help showcase the variety of food produced in her corner of Wisconsin. Heather recently talked to me about how she is using value-added enterprises to make the farm sustainable from a labor and financial point of view. She also talked about how to avoid the trap of allowing the romance of working the land blind one to the realities of what it takes to run a small business. It was sort of the realization at first of thinking that everything we created on the farm had to come from this specific farm. I guess limited labor and limited knowledge sometimes too and in being a very successful, you know, pork producer as well as, you know, growing our own grains and all these other things. Like I felt my times could be better used in working with other people that had their specific areas of knowledge and you know like I said we buy a whole hog from a neighbor farm that way instead of raising mine in the off season in the barn in the winter so that I could have pork when I want it it makes sense to you know support them and then they in turn can come here and sell cuts of meat or can kind of cross market their product on the pizza nights that we have here while people are also getting to eat the whole hog sausage on on their pizza and can see, you know, oh, there's the mill where the flour came from, um, the cheeses, you know, our various kinds of cheeses from the area. And, you know, I can do my part with the gardens, but we can also all work together to showcase our local foods um, and what we have in, as a region available to others. Yeah, I think that's really, uh, it's really exciting. And you said it's kind of grown 
well, it was doubled in size just in the three years you've done it, something like that. And uh, this is a very rural area. It's kind of hard to get back in here in the valley. It's a beautiful place, but it's hard to get here. So it's not like you're in an urban area where you can have people drop in. They have to make an effort, and you can get over, you know, typical night, you can get over 300 people here. That's pretty amazing. Uh, the other thing that, that's interesting is you guys have keeping your, I'm, I'm going to go back to this risk thing, I guess, keeping your risks low and, and adding value rather than just growing exponentially. You've kind of had to also look at the limitations of, of labor. You're kind of doing this on your own. You use intern interns and some neighbors help out, that type of thing. But you really have to look also at what can I do that's not going to wear my body out and that I can do, you know, plus raising two small boys, that type of thing. I mean, trying to become financially sustainable here on the farm, I mean, there's many different roads you can take. I would know that if I was going to grow the CSA to the level that maybe the level of the CSA plus the wood-fired pizza would be at would be much more physically demanding and exhausting, and I would need more labor, I would need more everything in order to do that. And I would also probably have to... um, deliver my shares outside of the area because I would need more families and perhaps I could come up with um, to support the the farm that way. And so it's always been a focus too to try to stay within a 30 mile radius of the farm for the CSA delivery. So I feel like I'm kind of at a a nice threshold right here that the level uh, is at that 60 families. And um, with the value added with the wood-fired pizzas that I do, um, it's kind of one day of the week and really is, is sort of a nice change of pace. You know, it's like, oh, we're, we're cleaned up. We're, you know, in the kitchen all of a sudden, you know, on a day. And it's, it's a whole chopping and cutting and prepping and making dough and, you know, and then cooking the, the pizzas later that night and working with the public and getting to talk about the farm and, and just to see them enjoy the valley and the place and the kids run free and see the animals and experience just what rural farm life is kind of all about is just a really satisfying, you know, way to show what I do and to share what I do with others and, you know, just to highlight the local foods um, aspect and all that I do on the farm to others that way. Uh, going back to when you took Farm Beginnings, um, what was the most valuable part of that for you? You came from a farm, farm background. You grew up on a, on a dairy farm, just not too far from here. But uh, uh, apparently, you uh, must have thought it was worthwhile to take a beginning farmer course. Uh, I mean, what, what was it that attracted you to that, and what did you feel like it was worthwhile? Or did you get something out of that? Well, I think I grew up on a conventional dairy farm, um, which is very different than what I'm doing here, and so I felt I had a lot to learn and and some really careful business planning and projections and other things to make because I only have 16 acres to work with here. And so I think that I had to be very careful in what I chose to do and and how I evaluate those enterprises. And, and um, farm, gave, farm Beginnings gave me a lot of tools in order to, to look at that picture you know, learn how to work with the numbers that way and evaluate those small enterprises that are all a part of the big picture here for the farm. Um, so other things I gained from taking the Farm Beginnings course would be networking, I guess, with other people who had small parcels of land and that were farming and were, you know, being successful um, on their farms, um, making a living off the land there and, and uh, were not just stereotyped as a hobby farmer like no this is real and we can do this and um, just with land values the way they are today sometimes 
land may be accessible in smaller chunks than than it was at one time. So this was a pretty uh, significant year for you as far as getting the farm off the ground and everything. I mean, what advice would you give someone who was interested in looking into farming? You seem to feel pretty positive about the options out there. What what but what you also are very realistic. So what would what advice would you give? Well, I would advise somebody if they've never farmed that you just need to probably find a way to get your hands dirty and get on a farm somewhere because the the amount of work and labor and you know challenges that come to you working on a farm are more than you ever realize I think and um, farming can be a very romanticized idea, you know, working on the land and day in, day out, da la la. And it's just, there's the other side of it too. And so, um, I grew up in a farm. I kind of understood that aspect of it. And so I think, I guess one advice would be get your hands dirty, get out there and see if it is really what you think it is. And, um, and the other thing, you know, just start, talking to people and, and, um, you know, asking questions and you just got to start, even if it's in your backyard, growing a small garden for yourself, if, if vegetables are your thing or, you know, um, just start doing it and learning, you know, that way. I don't think scale, sometimes you have to do it always grand, but you can start small and work your way up in a lot of different means. For more on Farm Beginnings, see www.farmbeginnings.org. More on Smith Gardens is at www.smithgardensfarm.com. That's smithgardensfarm.com. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.